Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast with your host, Aoife O'Brien. The podcast for anyone who wants to be happier at work. We spend so much of our time at work. Everyone deserves to be happier at work. Welcome to episode 38 of the Happier at Work podcast, and this is the continuation of the Future of Work series. Today's guest is Alicia Hegarty from CPL, and Alicia is an expert in all things wellness, and I'm really curious to talk to her all about what the future of wellness looks like, given the current situation that we find ourselves in. So, hope you are looking forward to the conversation as much as I am. Enjoy this week's episode. So Alicia, welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners? Sure. Yes. Well, my name is Alicia Hegarty. I am the strategic wellness lead for CPL's Future of Work Institute. And so really what that means is I look after, I suppose, um, the wellness service offering to CPL's clients. So for those of you who don't know, CPL is, most people know CPL as a recruitment agency. We're a a total talent solutions organization. So we do a lot more than um, recruitment. We do managed service solutions. um, We do healthcare. And we also have uh, the Future of Work Institute, which is our consultancy uh, business. So I've been working with them for about two years almost now. And before that, I suppose my background, I've spent about 15 years working in human resource management. Um, And in parallel to that, um, because I suppose this is where sometimes your hobby can or your passion can become a career. And I ended up kind of merging the two. But um, in conjunction with my HR um, uh, career, I studied nutrition, I studied fitness, I've studied cognitive behavioral therapy, I've taught dance, I've done personal training, I've done nutritional therapy, I've you know done a variety of different things in the health and wellness arena. Um, my husband is involved in, in the health and wellness space as well. And when I was made redundant, um, I had decided then that I would merge the two because I can see, I suppose, health and well-being both from an employee and an employer's perspective and also I had some personal circumstances as well like in, 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 as part of driving my career in HR I burned out as well myself and so I'd started to question a lot of things and then kind of um put into some in, into practice some of the things that I kind of learned and now I'm, I'm working for CPL and helping their clients with their wellness strategies. Well that's brilliant that you're able to merge the two things and something I suppose Mm. kind of threefold, something that came from personal experience, something that you were hugely interested in and something that you had experience then work-wise of as well. So, I mean, that's, it's a really, really great story um, when something like that happens and it's a really great Mm. prompt to, to bring you where you are. And I know burnout is a huge thing for a lot of people. Um, And I suppose where you come from it is you're trying to prevent those kind of things those kind of situations happening to other people so exactly can we talk a little bit more about that and like what does wellness at work mean and what does that look like going into the future yeah well I suppose if we start with the you touched on something there that that I I really I want to drill down on because it's really part of 
what I think is really important. And it's the whole avoiding burnout at work, you know, and for me, it was a combination of a number of different things. It was taking on a lot of things. It was moving into a management position. It was not really having the skills and the abilities to do my role, not feeling like I had the, you know, I could, I could, I could ask for support thinking that maybe that would mean that I was weak. You know, it was in order to make the next step in the ladder, I had to take on more duties. I had to work more hours. I had to work weekends. It was all of this, you know, hustle and grind culture that you're thought, this is what I need to do in order to accelerate. And so I probably didn't, um, I probably created some pretty poor habits as a result of that. And I ended up burning out. And at the time, I didn't realize that what it was. It was just chronic fatigue, tired all the time, crying all the time, not being able to think really clear. And I remember I was working on Stephen's Green. And I remember walking down Grafton Street on my lunch break one day. And I just felt like the ground was coming closer and closer and closer to me. Now, I wasn't fainting, but I just had this weird sensation all over my, that I could just lie down and just go to sleep right there and then. And I'd had umpteen cups of coffees that day. Nothing was working. And later that day, I was in a meeting with one of my reports. And I remember grabbing onto the table really quickly and looking at her and go, did you feel, did you feel that? It had felt for me like the whole table had upended Titanic style and we were on a boat or something. And I was like, that was my first experience of vertigo. And so I didn't really know what was happening. And then that kind of spiraled as to me looking at investigating different things with my GP, holistic stuff, looking at different ways to figure out what was happening to me, why it was happening and how I could fix it essentially. And the reason I think, you know, you had said, how can we prevent burnout? And so part of my own story and what I'd um, experienced kind of led me down the path of looking at well-being in the workplace and mitigating work-related stress, which can be very challenging because, Mm. you know, stress is always going to be there and how we respond to stress is an individual thing, of course. But through the research that that we've done, in, that have done in the future of work institute, we realize that there are certain things that contribute to work-related stress within an organization, like time pressure, work overload, long hours, and um, you know, job insecurity, lack of progression, not feeling valued, poor leadership, all of these things that in some ways we could ourselves and within the organization and our employer have control over. So when I started developing out this service offering. And we look at it across eight dimensions of wellness, which I can talk to you about in a sec. We really are looking and asking employees to identify across all of these areas of the eight dimensions of wellness, what is impacting, what is contributing to their work-related stress or what's impacting their well-being at work. So that when we're designing interventions, we can look at mitigating some of those things. So yes, we might do nutrition talks and yoga and variety of different things within the organization to help educate people how to stay fit and healthy. But the organization also needs to include things that mitigate things that are going to exacerbate some of that work-related stress so that we can mitigate things like like burnout. So it's it's a two-pronged approach. Yes, there's accountability here for the employee, but also the employer has accountability here as well. Yeah. So the employee needs to create the environment where it's, it's, 
easy or easier to take action on what they know. And I, I mean, I, I've spoken about this before, the knowing doing gap. So you might know all of these things, you might know what you need to do, but you just don't, you don't actually take action on it because you don't have the mm. facility in order to take it, or you're not getting that support from the organization, from your manager or mm. wherever that might be. Um, mm. So really interesting. And I, I mean, I've started writing notes as you were going through the different areas, the time pressure, the work overload, the poor leadership. Um, are they part of the eight dimensions or are they something different? Yeah, no, they, they, they are. So the eight dimensions of wellness will look at, so spiritual wellness. So for example, if you're, if you're, if you don't have, find meaning or purpose within your role or you don't understand the company's values or mission or it's misaligned, mm-hmm. that can have an impact on your health and well-being. Environmental wellness, you know, if the organization you're working in is toxic or if it's not physically safe environment, you know, physical wellness, we know, and mental wellness, we understand those. Um, intellectual wellness. So, um, you know, if you don't have the ability or feel that you're in a position to speak up about things, if you don't have the skills, um, the skills to do your job well, occupational wellness. If you don't have career opportunities afforded to you, it can have an impact on your health and well-being, financial well-being as well. And the eighth one, social wellness. So, you know, if there's a lack of camaraderie on the team or um, a lack of social well- wellness within the organisation or within the team, the, all of those areas can have an impact on someone's health and well-being so yes those other areas would fall into different aspects of of the eight dimensions of wellness brilliant and I mean really really interesting lots of different areas there to drill into can we talk a little bit about the spiritual side of things and I I did have Mm. um, a guest on the podcast a number of months back speaking about meaning and purpose and this idea of spirituality and how how to bring Mm. that into the organization so I'd love to understand a little bit more about that from a wellness perspective and so when when I and, and I have, you know people will have different ideas of, of, of spiritual wellness and it might mean something different for me and it might mean something different for you but when yeah. we talk about it in the co- context of the organisation and spiritual wellness it's really ensuring from a wellness from an organisation perspective that they understand you know what their own values and 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 and, and their mission is mm. and we you know we, we spoke pre- earlier on around the future of work and sometimes that can evolve. You know, yeah. you're, you know, yeah. for some organizations, you know, the purpose of their organization may need to change because the future of work is evolving and the organization therefore needs to evolve with it. And also it's understanding that from an employee perspective that your values and your purpose and the role that you're, you're doing um, align with that of the organization. So for example, um, a colleague of mine or a friend of mine, I should say, works in the States for an organization who he doesn't feel or he's come to realize that he doesn't agree with their values. Mm. And therefore that's impacted his well-being so much that he is a risk for that organization in that he's looking to leave that organization because he's at a stage now he's like, okay, my values, their values have changed. My values remain the same this is probably not the right organization for me to work in. Yeah. So again, it's, it's for, for an employee, it can be a little bit different um, in, in, in understanding that it contributes to their own um, personal values and that alignment. Absolutely. And, 
And the dissertation that I just submitted last week, woo <laughs> um, that was focusing on values, congruence and need satisfaction. So like values, congruence was hugely important factor in making someone feel like they fit in or they belong in an organization. Mm. So I'd love to kind mm. of talk a little bit more about that and, and get your views on, well, I suppose, I mean, people listening I certainly, until I started doing um, my coaching diploma a few years ago, I didn't really know what what values were, what my values were. The only experience yeah. I had had of that would be an organization, you know, we talk about what our corporate values are and you might have mm. maybe three or four corporate values that you talk about. And like, I suppose the disconnect between what a company says they do and what they actually do and how people behave. So I'd love to talk yeah. a little bit more about that yeah, and the and importance of if you yeah. have these values that you you show that with your behavior as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And I completely and I completely agree. And you know, I think for, and I I understand where you were saying there around you know not really even understanding sometimes your own values. I think we all kind of know what our values are, but no one sits down or at least, well, I ha- I, I did it recently, but only because I was asked what my values were. I was, oh, I actually think I need to sit down. My values are, you know, yeah. we rarely will do that, but we do have values. But when yeah. someone asks you, what are your values? You're probably not going to go listing them off. It's yeah. not necessarily something, but if you sat down and put time into it, you probably would know. And it's a good exercise for everyone to do. Yeah. But I think to answer your question, for me, I think, again, it comes down to, yes, the organization understanding their values, but it's creating them with everyone in mind, yeah. as opposed to coming from the top going, these are our values, and, yeah. and that's it. It needs to be it needs to be designed, you know, people need to be involved in, 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 in contributing to it. Um, but then also, you know, you know, that sense of belonging can really come from leadership. And I think it's having those good leaders and leaders that lead with purpose and inclusion, um, I think um, are the ones, and this is, you know, it's, it's a hot topic at the moment as well when we think of another future work topic, the, the, you know, diversity and, and, and inclusion. Yeah. And I think it, you know, kind of falls in there with your purpose and your meaning and all this. And I think it really comes down to the style of leadership and the leaders that you develop within your organization have the power really to lead with purpose and inclusion. Oh, really interesting. And like, you're so right about like, no one sits down and says, <laughs> what are my values and how can I list yeah. out my values? But it's important for people to know what their values are. And your friend over in the States, it's probably a case of he felt something, you know what your values aren't. So you, you mm. feel something, an unease within you, in your body somewhere. For me, it tends to be around my stomach area and like, mm. sit right with me. Yeah. It doesn't feel right. Something isn't going, something's annoying me or it's going against my values. Mm. And that's mm. often how you detect what your values are is based on what your values are not. Um, yeah. When something goes against what you really feel should be done. Um, yeah. It's interesting what you're saying as well about the evolution, because especially now, especially with COVID, and I think mm. a lot of companies have had to reconsider yeah. what their values are, what is their purpose, why were they originally mm. set up? And it's an opportunity to remind their customers of why they're here or to think, yeah. about what is this? What's our purpose again? What are we doing here? Mm. And the importance of leadership. And that's, 
that's another interesting topic. I had an entire series about leadership um, in, in the last series. I had 10 episodes speaking with different people getting their perspectives on leadership. And something that kind of came up again and again was the idea of, um, you know, not everyone is necessarily wants to be a leader or not everyone can be a leader. And it takes some specific skills in order to to be that. But oftentimes the career path is presented to us in such a way that you progress through the career ladder and you become a manager and then you Mm. become a manager's manager and and that's kind of how how your um career path is is mm. formulated any thoughts specifically on leadership or or what makes a good leader or how a leader can drive this sense of belonging and uh, the sense of purpose and inclusion that you mentioned i think anyone can really be a leader i think sometimes we fall into considering i'm a manager i'm now a leader but even if you're a solo player or you know you may take maybe a little bit more of a leadership role within your team with your peers um i think leaders are people who um can again lead by example so again if you know what your values are and you know what the company's values are and again they're aligned and you're leading with that in mind I really think that anyone can be a leader but I think it does come down to a firstly yourself Mm. and you know understanding yourself and and so for example you know if I go along talking about wellness and how great it is to stay fit and healthy but I'm not looking after my own health and well-being you know, I'm not really leading by example. So I think like a lot of that, you know, even if we come down to talking about purpose and meaning and that, I think a lot of it is leading by example, you yeah. know, and therefore then it cascades down, whether you're the CEO or whether you're, you know, at a, at a lower level. Yeah. Um, I think it can, it, it, it should then, you would hope, multiply yeah. throughout the organization. I, I, and there's a really, there's a really good book that I read recently. It's called Multipliers. What is the lady's name? Liz Wiseman, I want to say. And it talks about different types of leadership and leadership styles that create a multiplication effect and leadership styles that create a diminishing effect. Okay. And so there are certain types of leaders, not managers, leaders, who can lead in a certain way that creates this multiplication effect, regardless of what that is, if that's, you want to multiply well-being, you know, drive a sense of well-being, drive a sense of purpose, drive a sense of meaning. There are certain, and then there are other leadership styles that are maybe a little bit old-fashioned now, but that can, we sometimes, if we're managers, and and look, I've slipped, we all, regardless of how, you know, greatly, great experienced leaders we are, we all fall into different, we all fall into the diminishers at some stages in our career um but we'd all hope that we put ourselves back into the multiplier so we've all got a bit of it and a multiplier and a d- diminisher within us but um again I just that's a that's a really good book that I've read recently on on, on leadership because I think it really explains leading with that multiplicate multiplier effect as opposed to diminishing it I'll um I'll find a link to that and I'll put it in the show notes. I have certainly heard of it, but I don't think I've read it yet. But it, it sounds super interesting, and I I really like this approach of like a leader leads by example. Like I suppose mm. between the lines, it's about the, your ability to inspire other people into action. And I suppose so long as the leader's values are aligned with the organization and they're seeing they're seen to be embodying those values or or exemplifying those values in some way that they can inspire other people to behave in in that same way you know so 
whether mm-hmm. that's being really transparent with their coworkers so that you know everyone can be transparent and it's okay to say things or it's okay to go against the grain things like that I think are quite interesting and um, I've I realized we've sort of veered off the topic of wellness slightly but that's it's always okay that's okay yeah <laughs> um we spoke about some of the other kind of areas where the the occupational so presenting career opportunities and the social element mm. of the kind of lack of camaraderie or the I suppose, supporting of camaraderie. Do you want to talk a little bit about those kinds of things? Yeah, and I've got a few examples across eight dimensions, you know, of, of, of wellness as well in terms of how it can impact an organisation. And look, we're all being impacted right now with, you know, social wellness. And again, if you were to even look look and tick some of those boxes yourself across, where do I sit on a scale of one to five, five being the highest well-being, one maybe being the lowest, you know, like the wheel of life, if you were to score yourself on those across the eight dimensions, you know, maybe eight months ago, we might have scored really high in social wellness, and now we might score really low. And I know myself, I've kind of ebbed and flowed on on this, you know, where there could be days where the only person I speak to is my husband and my dogs, and other days where I've got loads of virtual meetings, or I have a social distanced coffee with a colleague, you know. So I think, you know, from from, from that perspective right now, that's really probably being put under pressure and organizations are are running a variety of different campaigns to help people kind of stay connected um, virtually. Um, but we are seeing increased increasingly this having a, a, an impact on, on, on mental well-being as well. Um, in other areas, so for example, we, ra- we have a diagnostic tool that, that we look at across the eight dimensions of wellness that, that addresses these issues that we use as part of our strategy design. And in, in one particular um, workplace, we ran this and it found that intellectual wellness was having the biggest impact on employee health and well-being. And actually, when we delved deeper down, we found out that it was, so this was a multicultural organization. There was a lot of conflict on the team, multicultural um, conflict mm. on the team's And so as part of our wellness intervention, we looked at inclusiveness training and conflict resolution. So a little bit of what I would call maybe atypical wellness solutions, because we tend to think of it as maybe a fitness class or a nutrition talk or yoga, different different aspects of it. But actually, when we look at it and we really look at maybe what is it within an organization that may be contributing to this, there are other aspects outside of those that can really have a positive impact on people's health and well-being brilliant and would the the different dimensions would they be kind of interrelated in some way like do they yeah, impact they, on each other yeah yeah no they do like I mean there it, there is a knock-on effect and look there's a knock-on effect on a lot of things if you don't if you're not you know looking after your physical wellness it can have it or your mental health and again the the, the social wellness can have an impact on your mental wellness and you know it can certainly have a knock on have a knock on effect they are you know in inter interlinked for sure yeah and really interesting what you were saying about the social and I suppose mm. in my head and it's so I kind of speak in the abstract and I think in the workplace and I in, in my head I'm thinking in an office somewhere but actually that's not the reality at the moment for people mm. um and and the very obvious one that you mentioned is the the social aspect. The impact that that's having is not not seeing people socially on a day to day basis yeah. by being in the office or not going mm. for lunch together or not yeah. not going for drinks after work on a Friday and things like that. Mm. So 
of the other ones, it'd be really good to, to get your perspective on um, what ones have been most impacted by this crisis that we find ourselves in. First of all, like, are there ones that really stand out? Um, uh, and then and, and then physical could be another one as well, I suppose, if people are not physically in the office and they have to create a space to work at home. But, mm. but what can people do to overcome that? So of the ones that are, are really... The, the ones that are being impacted most by COVID, what can people do? So there's the ones I suppose the, the main one that's probably been impacted most is this, is the social. Now it does have a knock on effect then on your mental um, mm. well being as well. Um, you know, we even there was a recent study that was conducted that said that seventy three percent of working professionals have reported being burnt out in April compared to 61% in February. So wow. certainly burnout is on the rise for sure since COVID yeah. impacted. And it also stated that the main reasons being no separation between work and life, mm. unmanageable workload and job insecurity. Yeah. So obviously a lot of people are, you know, we're worried right now about, you know, the the, the, the impact potential of a, of a recession and job insecurity, um, you know, the separation between work and life and I can't necessarily I don't have kids yet so I can't necessarily speak to what it must be like for someone who is managing a house and work and I know I've spoken anecdotally with friends and colleagues of mine and you know a lot of people in in variety of different organizations have found that leadership hasn't really necessarily changed and expectations are still the same despite okay. us being in this very unconventional situation right now that we're presented in and so you know no wonder kind of mental health um challenges are on the rise and social wellness I think is is only or a lack of social wellness is only further having an impact on that but I think next to that would probably be occupational wellness and that kind of worry and then that having a knock-on effect on your financial well-being because mm-hmm. we're like well I don't want to spend right now because I don't know if I'm going to have a job and say well that might be a bit dramatic but for some people it may be very yeah. true yeah, you know yeah. um you know there, there is that there are those challenges and it's having a knock-on effect on on, on 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 people across all dimensions of well-being well this is it and like we don't know what the future holds so I mean I've spoken to a few people about this and like what's what's the economy going to be like what does what do mm. things look like now and it's not really clear the the big impact that this, this is going to have because to a degree the government has sort of buffered a lot of the negative impact that that's gone that has happened and you know with with the, the provision of like social supports and all of that kind of stuff but it's it's interesting what you said about the expectations remaining the same so that's, mm. that's nearly coming from from leadership that like whether you're um, a manager or whether you're a leader you're creating those same expectations even though circumstances have completely changed. Um, yeah. So I do think even, even going back onto the, the leadership thing there as well, leaders are, I think, definitely under a lot of pressure right now because obviously organisations want to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they need to push. And so, you know, this, and again, there's conflicting reports coming where people are working from home and productivity has never been higher. And then there's conflicting research saying, you know, working from home is very stressful and challenging and productivity has gone yeah. to, in the toilet, mm. you know? So it's, it, and, and, and 
it's all very new to all of us. So again, I think the research in this area is still evolving and we probably won't know the full impact for a very long time. Um, But I do think that leaders leaders and organizations are under pressure as well to amend in some ways their leadership styles. So Mm. we can continue that multiplying effect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, I'd be curious to know how how people have modified their leadership style or leadership behaviors. And I wonder, is there any kind of clues in in that book um, to understand that a little bit more? Um, I'm really curious. In terms of then ongoing and what the future looks like, because it looks like for most people that we're not going to get into back into the office as we know it anytime mm. soon. I've heard different mm. stories of it could be as September, it might not be till next year. And mm. even when it does happen, it's likely that it's going to be a very different atmosphere and it's going to be um, everything socially distanced and all of that kind of stuff. Any thoughts on the impact that that will have on, on wellness or what can, what specific um actions and and kind of practical steps can organizations or individuals or managers or leaders what can we take in order to to better manage that so I think it's really hard to predict and again I'm 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 seeing a lot of conflicting views on this as well um I don't know if you saw um well I I noticed it yesterday on on LinkedIn uh Siemens in Germany have said that they are allowing their employees to work from at work from home anywhere in the world mm. uh, forever, permanently, yeah. two or three days a week. Um, and again, you've seen Twitter are very much leading the working from home side of things. Um, but then there are a lot of organizations that, that, you know, I think the workplace is definitely needed as humans we've grown up in institutions Mm. our whole lives, our Mm. school institution, our community institution, our work institution. You know, we are social beings and we need those social interactions. I think working from home, the option of working from home and having that flexibility, we will probably see new working models that will allow that flexibility, very similar to what maybe Siemens are offering and and, 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 and Twitter and Google that are, are looking at those. I think it's, probably a bit early to decide what you're going to offer your employees on a, on a permanent basis. Yeah. Um, because some people, and again, some people might be quite introverted and it might be fine for them to work from home, but what does that have the long-term effect have of them not having that human yeah. social connection? Um, I also think that um, it has an impact Working from home, it's great for me. I really enjoy it. But I do find that sometimes it can have an impact on those kind of personal relationships. So again, the drinks after work and the bonds that that helps you build with um, people on your team, whether they're your peers or your managers or otherwise, um, you know, coffee cooler conversations that you have conversations that you have in the lift going to work yeah. you know the time out that you get on your hour or half hour commute I used to listen to podcasts on my on my walk in and out of work I don't remember the last time I had you know well I'm, I, I, I listen to them but probably not as as often as I I would have because that routine mm. is kind of gone and it's been replaced with a different routine so I think you know it's hard to predict I do think that as a result of the pandemic we will see new working models what those look like and to what extent 
it'll hard be hard to predict, but I do think there'll be an element of flexibility. But I, I, I think there's also a need with a physical work environment. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree about it. It's really important for people to get together, you know, to actually be physically mm. together in the same place. And um, one of the, the previous podcasts, we, we talked about a couple of these things that, that you mentioned about, like, say, if, a, if an organization offers people to only work from home, um, so they're offering flexible working, but that looks like you can only work from home, then what you might get is a lot of people who are introverted like you were saying applying for these roles because they don't really feel the need for that social interaction at work and they're perfectly happy to work on their own from home and over time what you find is that you have an entire organization that is full of introverts and it's not it's not very diverse from a you know introversion extroversion perspective um and another thing was uh, was around this whole idea of creating the workplace is kind of a, a place that you go to socialize with other people so it's not a place that you go to do work but it's, it is a place where you go if you need to have a meeting if you need to collaborate with other people that it can't mm. be done uh, through zoom that you you actually do most of your work at home but then when you need to meet up with other people to discuss things or whatever it mm. might be whatever reason that you need to to meet up with people and it could be just that that idea of building bonds with others and forming those connections. But actually, most of your work and like so many people I've heard and again, anecdotally saying, how did I ever work in an open plan office with someone chit chatting beside me? And you'll have people who, who like to chat a lot and <laughs> impact on other people's abilities to get their work done. And um, so all of these kind of things as well. It's really interesting about different mm. people's experiences of of working at home and like you're saying some people being hugely productive and being able to get everything done and then other people having to manage the home having to manage the workload and having to to kind of everything is just getting on top of them and they they have mm. less time for work uh, and maybe mm. managers aren't as understanding as those different pers- uh, of those different perspectives as they could be mm. yeah and I think there's there's, there's 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 a challenge and I remember even speaking with my brother um, he's a software developer in, in the States. And I remember, and, and again, when you're working with stuff like code, I know I, I can even relate to this and I don't work with code, but you know, sometimes you, someone might be sitting beside you and you just want to bounce something off someone. Mm. But if you're working from home, it's like I have to either bounce it off my husband, and but you've got to explain the concept of everything. Yeah. Um, or you could say, hey, can, can I just bounce this off you for five minutes? But if you can't do that at home, you've got to book in a meeting, mm. just, you know, and then... Yeah, the if other person doesn't formal. know how long. If it was very formal, when you know you you do miss those. Can I just bounce this thought off you, or can yeah. I tell you this? Or you know, I'm writing an email. Can you just help me rephrase this? And you know, it's those little things that just help even team dynamics and team yeah. development as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just the whole social side of things and becoming friends with people or the camaraderie, but it's it's those little um, things as well. And then it's like even as you're trying to move projects along, the more you build certain types of relations with people, the better your negotiating skills are, the better your influencing skills are. And all of those things are kind of missing when you don't have that chit-chat in the lift or pass someone by their desk or have those smaller, meaningful 
yeah but not scheduled conversations yeah 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 the little interactions that kind of I suppose help people to build up trust over time because you know someone face to face a lot yeah 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 um so Alicia any other thoughts on what the future of wellness holds or, or what that might look like in the future is there anything that we haven't necessarily covered yet I, I, I definitely think wellness is, is changing. And if anything, you know, and I've written a paper on this, we're releasing it in the next week or two called Reimagining Wellness. And it's really looking at how the wellness and approach to wellness needs to change. And I've, I've touched on some of it already, but I think what's influencing this um, a, a little bit more is a lot of, yes, okay, the future of work is impacting, you know, the current approach to, 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 to wellness within a workplace context, you know, we've got um, we've got newer roles emerging because of the future of work. We've got new technologies. We now also have probably catapulted forward new working models. You know, maybe organizations that were a little bit resistant to flexible working are now becoming a little bit more um, accepting of it. And I do, you know, for, for a lot of these new roles and technologies, you know, we're seeing techno stress. We're seeing perhaps um, we don't really know the full context of how certain new roles are impacting people's health and well-being. So a lot of this is really pushing, and it has been even before the pandemic, it was pushing a lot of this forward. Um, but I do, and, and, and for the most part, and this is my own opinion, I think the, the approach to health and wellness within the work context was largely remaining the same. And so I really think that the approach definitely needs to change and it needs to be a strategic business decision that not only impacts and supports the employees' health and well-being and makes them happier, healthier at work, but also from an organization perspective, A, helps mitigate ongoing stress. And if they can work with that in mind and it becomes a bit more strategic, therefore has a knock-on effect on good business, productivity, increases engagement, attraction as an organization. So how, so again, if we talk for one minute about attraction, it kind of links in with some of the stuff we've talked about already. How you are, even now during the pandemic, how you're treating your employees has an impact and says a lot about your brand, you know? And therefore that has an impact on your organization, your productivity, and attracting talent to your organization, attracting customers to your organization. All of those things can have an impact. And then I do think that the pandemic, as awful as it is, has probably um, facilitated the need for health and well-being to change. And you'll even see in in the um, Return to Work Safety Protocols that the government released a few months ago, well-being and managing mental health um, and organizations putting things in place to support that for employees has been called out in that as well. So I think it's really important now for um, organizations to take stock of what they're doing. And when we say reimagining wellness, it's taking stock. What are you doing at the moment? Are you just Mm -hmm. ticking a box or is it really a strategic initiative within your organization? So I do think it's having it is having an impact on health and well-being. And I don't think now or into the future um, it'll remain the same for organizations. I think they need to take this as an opportunity to really look at well, what are we doing and how can we do, how can our approach to wellness change for the better for yeah. the employee and the organization? Absolutely. So it it, it it kind of puts wellness and employee well-being at center of everything that mm. you're doing because of the situation, you know, because of obviously the mm-hmm. um the health implications of of COVID-19 but also the impact that 
people have had um, the mental strain of working from home and um, they might have had a, a loved one who who suffered from it or who passed away from it yeah and um, yeah like all of these things impact uh, on us as humans and our ability to 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 carry out the work on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. Um, it's so interesting and, and and fascinating. And I know we don't have a crystal ball to say. I want you know, but I do, I am curious as to what what will happen. And and um, no, me too. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the only way to to predict the future is to create it. You know, mm. and, and for organisations to get behind these wellness initiatives and to really put a focus on them. Um, so, Alicia, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast: What makes you happier at work? Well, I, I suppose for me, I'm, I'm a firm believer that stress isn't necessarily going to go anywhere. It's always going to be there. Um, and we can't really change that, but we do have control over how we manage it. So for me personally, meditating and journaling and helping me prepare for the day to face stressors mm. makes me happier at work. And being happier at work is helping others do meaningful work. Um, but also knowing that I have the tools to be resilient and I can be prepared to face the stresses that are presented to me to be happier at work so you're never necessarily immune to stress just because I've been burnt out before doesn't mean I can be I won't be burnt out again but you know I definitely have the tools to help me become more resilient throughout my day and therefore it helps me do what really makes me happy which is helping others and doing meaningful work brilliant love it and um, you mentioned about your paper reimagining Mm. wellness and once that becomes available I can stick a link to it in the show podcast perfect yep I'll put a link to that is there anything else in terms of uh, if you want to share a website or any events that you have coming up or if people want to reach out to you directly like what's the best way yeah I mean if people want to reach out for me directly um the best way is to find me on LinkedIn um, I'm always open to talking about wellness or other future of work areas um, I'm quite active on LinkedIn and um, we're not really working on we usually have a lot of future of work events and um, but obviously because of COVID we haven't scheduled any but we do have a number of um, uh, webinars at the moment so um, we've just finished Perspectives During Times of Change which is a webinar series where we interview leaders within the future of work and different um, aspects of the future of work and then we just launched our new um, our new webinar series called Destination Workplace and it's you know, looking at that future lens, all the different areas within the future of work, um, what really is needed for organizations to create a destination workplace into the future. Brilliant. And again, I can put the, the link to that in the show great. notes so people can yeah. easily access that. But um, thank you That'd so much great. for your time today. Thank really you so much for fast. having me. Brilliant. I appreciate it. That was Alicia Hegarty from CPL talking all about wellness, the future of wellness in the context of the future of work and the global pandemic that we find ourselves in at the moment. So I wanted to recap on some of the things that Alicia shared about. Um, so we, we, in, we started talking about burnout and what that looks like, which um, that was quite interesting, actually. And what it can look like is or, or some of the stressors that cause it would be things like too much work not asking for help, having this whole hustle and grind culture where it's not okay to ask for help. Some of the specific areas related to stress that Alicia mentioned were time pressure, work overload, job insecurity, poor leadership, long hours, lack of progression and not feeling valued. 
And they're tied in with the eight dimensions of wellness that she mentioned. So there is spiritual wellness, environmental wellness, physical wellness, mental wellness, intellectual wellness, occupational wellness, social wellness and financial wellness. And they are interrelated somehow. So having an impact on one area can have a knock on impact on another areas, both from a positive and a negative perspective. So we mentioned it specifically around the social element and how we're not necessarily interacting with people as much as we used to. And that can have a knock on impact then on mental wellness. We touched a little bit on values and how to really understand what your values are and the importance of values and how values may change and evolve over time. But it's really important to create that sense of belonging and the role that leaders play in creating that and in in embodying the values and how to understand your values by knowing what's what really goes against your values. That's that's an easy way to to understand what your values are. I liked the talking about the idea of bouncing ideas around and how that's not really possible at the moment. Um, so if you have any ideas around that, if you're doing something that's working for you, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear about it. We talked about a specific example in relation to intellectual well-being and how in order to improve wellness in that area, there is an atypical approach taken with this organization when it comes to their wellness program, which focused more on inclusion and conflict resolution because it was more of a cultural conflict that was happening in the workplace. And I suppose this reiterates the importance of really getting the basics right and and getting the foundations there. So when you have a wellness program in place, it's not all about the yoga and the, the meditation and the journaling and things like that. While those things are important, it's about making sure that foundationally everything is in place and that you have the right culture. And I suppose something to leave you with thinking about and getting involved in the conversation, and I'd love to, to hear your interaction on social media, is how can our approach to wellness change for the better? If you would like to get involved in the conversation, similar to Alicia, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. If you'd like to reach out to me directly there, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'm also active, quite active on Instagram and on Twitter, and I'll put the links to those in the show notes if you want to, to reach out to me. And more than anything, I'd love to get a conversation going about what you see as the future of wellness or how we as a society, we as people can put wellness back into the centre of everything that we do. As always, if there is anyone who you feel would benefit from listening to this episode, go ahead and hit the share button. You should be able to share on social media, through email or through WhatsApp. And I would really appreciate you letting other people know about the podcast. Thank you. And I'll speak to you again next week. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Happier at Work podcast with Aoife O'Brien. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and don't forget to rate and review the podcast.